Most of the men I work with, they leave like this wake of destruction and this wake of brokenness because they don't have a solid, good definition. You can't become what you can't define. Everyone today is looking for a quick fix, how to get rich quick, how to be successful quick, um, how to become a man quickly. That's not how manhood works at all. Becoming a man is like wind carving a stone. It's a long, gradual, sometimes arduous process. It is a uphill climb. The problem is that most men are bringing a downhill effort, which is why they're not getting the results that they should be. This is The Hard Path with me, Chris Harper. Where have all the men gone? That's the focus of tonight's angle. Such now, once question. relegated to women's studies, classrooms, and college campuses, the phrase toxic masculinity entered our cultural vernacular a few years ago. Now, this was around the time that the American Psychological Association jumped in to warn that males who socialize to conform to traditional masculinity ideology are often negatively affected in terms of mental and physical health. Well, the argument is that boys are conditioned to be tough and not show weakness. That's a bad thing, I guess. And then by suppressing boys' feelings, their emotions, then they're likely to be more prone to violence or aggression, more likely to end up in prison or in trouble at school. And people who work in gender studies programs, they're dead set against the old confining rules of masculinity. You know, it's, it's interesting she says that because the reality is today, um, we live in a time where they want to erase any type of gender ideology. So they're really, you know, culture doesn't want there to be a difference between a man or a woman. They don't want there to be differences between boys and between girls because they perceive these differences as um, unequal. They see, they, they perceive these differences as an inequality. Um, and, and what happens is, um, instead of celebrating these differences, we just want to eliminate the differences, which adds to the confusion, right? Um, we have a saying uh, around my house, what, what boys don't learn, men won't know. And we have a lot of men today that don't know how to be men because they were boys not learning how to be men, which is exactly what, what Laura's getting now, at. Something that happened in a Manhattan subway car when a woman told a perturbed African-American man to take a chill pill. Watch. Say to my face now. Say to my face now. Tell me to take a chill pill. Say to the word chill pill. Oh. Say the word chill pill. Oh. Yeah, so he just punches this woman in the face, and, and, and no one does anything about it. No one does anything about it. You know, we've erased... Um, We've erased any semblance of social order. And because everything is equal, um, where, where another man hitting, hitting another man would, is, is wrong in, in many contexts, in many circumstances, um, a man striking a woman who, who tends to be physically smaller um, uh, in stature is smaller. Men um, physically and biologically are stronger. It's just the way that they were created. Right, um, it's wrong for someone stronger uh, to beat up on someone smaller or weaker or in physical stature less. Right now, we see that as an equal. So it's okay for a man to punch 
a woman in the face, a man that's twice the size of this woman, to punch her in the face, and everyone's just saying, hey, um, that was probably wrong, or hey, uh, you probably shouldn't have done that, but not to the point where anyone's able to or willing to step in and prevent it. It's crazy. It's absolute nonsense. It's, it, it's physically disgusting. It um, uh, makes me nauseous, uh, like even beyond anger. Um, uh, and, I, and I have to ask, man, where does that come from? And, and I think it, it, it comes from uh, the simple fact that, that our culture um, has erased or is trying to erase much of what it means to be a man. Man, where have all the men gone? And, and I think she's asking the right question. You know, where have all the men gone? And, and what I'm seeing is that, is that men have lost this, this ethos of courage. Every man um, needs an ethos. I mean, he needs a direction that he's headed. And the reality, every man has one, um, whether that's um, consuming him or he's consuming it, but we're all heading in a direction. And, and I think that's what happens when, when you live in a culture that like makes fun of chivalry. That's what happens when when you live in an over-feminized culture where um, not only do they not want you to, to, to be a man, but they, they ridicule and make fun of what it means to be a man. I mean, most men today don't even know what to do with their own strength, right? So, so when you live in that kind of masculinity fog, that manhood fog, um, something atrocious like a like an assault on a train happens and, and you don't know how to respond. So the natural instinct is just take out your phone and record it. I mean, like those are the times we're living in. And that is, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's almost heart wrenching. Where, where do men begin to develop this, this ethos of courage? I, I kind of dig what Jordan Peterson says about this. You know, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but but I love when he talks about every man has a, has a monster living inside of him. Um, I like to think of it as a warrior or a, or a champion. Every man has a champion living inside of him. And culture is telling you to, to kill that champion, like to, to quiet him, right? But, but what I'm saying is, no, no, let the warrior out. Let the champion out and train him up. Um, because because God put him there, right? I read, I read fairy tales to, to my daughter. I have a have a, a young daughter and every fairy tale is the same, right? The, the protagonist is the hero. The antagonist is the dragon. You know, the hero fights the dragon and behind every dragon is one of two things. There's either gold or a girl behind the dragon. And today men have neither. I meet so many men that, that have no gold, they have no curl and they wonder why. Well, the reality is because they're afraid to fight the dragon. Like they've stopped fighting the dragon. So they've, they've lost that ethos of courage. So, so how do you begin to develop or build um, an ethos of courage, a pathway to courage? So, so I have these four questions that, that I'm always asking. These four questions are at the front of my mind. I'm actually training my, my young boys. I have three sons under the age of 10, and I'm, I'm teaching them these questions. But any situation I walk into, whether I'm picking my son up for school, whether I'm walking into church on Sunday morning, whether I'm going into the grocery store, these four questions are always on the front of my mind. And if I ask myself them, answer and respond honestly, I can, I can develop an ethos of courage. And, and sometimes the questions are super helpful. 
Um, um, sometimes they're, 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 they're not, you just, you just can't use them. But the point is developing the habit of asking them four questions on the front of my mind, always that, that as a man helped me build an ethos of courage. The first question is what's, what's broken in this situation that I can fix. So what's broken in this situation that I can fix? Um, we live in a broken world. Right. Sometimes um, it's a flat tire and someone broken down on the side of the street. Um, sometimes it's a little girl with a broken heart. But the reality is God has made me and designed me in such a way as a man that, that I was made to fix things. Um, I, have, I have talents and, and, and I have gifts. And, and, and I believe when I bring those talents and gifts to the table, like the world gets better. And where there's not a table, guess what? I can build one because I'm a man. Right, I'll build the table, but but the reality is there are things broken in this world that um, God has created me to fix. When when my son and I uh, see someone with a with a flat tire on the side of the street, and we stop to help them fix it, and he says, "Dad, why did we do that?" My answer is because we can. Because we can. When we're walking um, down the street and and there's some trash on the side of the road that, that we didn't put there and, and we stopped to pick it up and put it in the trash can. And my son says, dad, why did we do that? That, that wasn't our trash. Well, the answer is because son, we can, uh, because we can make the world a better place because uh, we're smart and we're strong and we're useful. I think a lot of men today have, they feel like they've lost their utility. Um, I know, I know I'm in that boat. Um, like I'm not, uh, I'm not super handy. Like I can't fix things around my house. My water heater went out a couple of weeks ago, and um, I'm looking at my son, and I said I got to call the plumber. And I and I love my nine year old. He looks at me. He says, "Dad, why don't we just Google it on YouTube and figure out how to fix it?" And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm just calling the plumber, right? <laughs> and and I think a lot of men feel like that. We we we've lost our utility. I mean, my backyard is turf, y'all. I don't even I don't even cut my own grass. <laughs> Right, so so it's easy to, to to lose your utility in this world. Something I started doing is um, I carry with me now at all times a pocket knife, and um, I used to not do this, uh, uh, but I do it now. Um, it's amazing when you start carrying a pocket knife. How many people throughout the day will ask you if you have a knife, and like every time they ask me, I can't wait to pull it out because I'm useful again. You know, my, my daughter and her best friend were in the cab of my truck not too long ago, and they were trying to open a box. And uh, my daughter's friend says, hey, does your dad have a pocket knife? And, and my daughter said, yeah, my dad always carries a pocket knife. I wanted to pull over and cry. <laughs> I was so proud <laughs> that, that, that I had this knife, and I couldn't wait to pull it out and, and, and to open the box because, because there was something broken. There was something not right that I could fix. So, so I think that's the first question I'm asking is, is what's broken in this situation that as a man I can fix? And if I have enough courage to step up and, and act and fix, man, the world becomes a better place. Yeah, I think about that incident on the subway and, and what was missed, right? There's a lot of men standing around doing nothing about it. And, and I think what's missing is, is courage, you know? Um, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward in spite of the fear. 
people watching this may may think or listening to this may think, man, if if someone was only carrying a gun or if someone was only a black belt in jujitsu, they could have they could have stopped what was happening. But 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 that's not the case. Um, carrying a gun or, or being a black belt in jujitsu doesn't necessarily make you courageous. Um, courageous is is moving forward in the face of fear, um, uh, in spite of what you feel like, right? So so what was missing is is one of those men stepping in and saying, "Hey, we don't do this to women, and if you want to continue this, you have to come through me." And then the next man saying, "And you're going to have to come through me." And then the next man saying, and you're going to have to come through me. And after seven or eight men line up, that guy's probably going to say, you know what? This isn't worth it. And he's going to get off the train. Um, um, that's what courage is, right? And, and, and because they lacked that ethos of courage, because they, they lacked of an, an, an understanding of, hey, like there's something broken here. There's something not right here. And, and I have the ability to fix it and stand in. I mean, I'm not carrying a gun. Um, I don't know karate, but that's okay. I can stand between evil, right? I can stand up for what is right um, because they lack the sense to do that. The natural inclination, like it wasn't second nature. Courage has to become second nature um, because that was missing, I think. I think something terrible happened. So a lot of men don't feel courageous because they don't, feel useful. Um, uh, in a lot of ways, that's what culture and society has done. It has, it has stripped a man of, of his usefulness, right? I mean, think about movies and think about music and think about a lot of the literature we, we read, right? Most men are just seen as, as imbeciles. Um, they're, they're pictured as the Homer Simpson type, right? Out of shape and just sitting around and eating donuts or, or the Al Bundy type, right? Where all they are really is an ATM. Dad is good for one thing and that's just giving out money or earning money, right? And, and because society has told us, um, man, you're not useful. Um, you're actually a problem. Um, you're trouble. I think, I think men have heard that long enough that they've started to believe the lie. Okay, maybe I'm not useful. Uh, maybe I am a problem. Maybe I am trouble. Um, so, so what they do is they they begin to slow quit their manhood. They begin to slow quit their masculinity. Right? They don't they don't stop being men. They just stop acting like men. They want to fade into, into the background until and and hopefully no one sees them. And I think that's exactly what happened on the train. Um, uh, these eight men. Uh, just just sitting there silently, standing there silently with phone in hand, um, um, hoping that nobody really sees them, hoping that nobody really cares what they're doing and they don't intervene. So when you look at um, a lot of feministic movements in the last 40 or 50 years, um, again, not all of them have been bad. Some of what women have fought for and what women are trying to attain is a really good thing. There, there were some serious discrepancies and inequalities um, uh, that needed to be fixed. But at the same time, the flip side of that is there's been the destruction of masculinity and manhood at the price of femininity, right? So, so what you're hearing is that, um, man, not only, not only has the inequality been wrong, but, but men are wrong. Being a man is wrong, right? Being a man is problematic. You look at the problems in the world and they, and they trace back to, to an absentee father or 
an unloving husband or a passive man, right? So, so there's this narrative that begins to be written that that yeah, men are the problem and 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 men are trouble. And if we can just do away with men, you know, the world would be a better place. I think the leading feminist today says the world needs um, men like a fish needs a bicycle. I mean, like that's being propagated in high academia. The world needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, which basically means as a man, the world doesn't need you. You're useless. And, and you begin to believe that, which is why we don't see men doing the things they need to be doing. And, and I'm trying to rewrite that narrative, right? I'm, I'm trying to tell men, you know what? The world says you're trouble. Um, well, I'm telling you to be trouble. Just be good trouble. <laughs> be good trouble. I love what John Lewis says, who, who marched with Martin Luther King Jr., he said, he said, man, start trouble and be trouble. Just be good trouble. And I'm telling you as a man, that's exactly what you need to be. You need to be good trouble. You're, you're a problem. Let's start acting like one. So the second question that I'm always, I'm always asking myself is, is what's missing that I can add? You know, as a man, there are certain things in my home there are certain things in my church. There are certain things in the world uh, that only I can add to it. Uh, and that doesn't mean that women are less than or women don't bring as much to the table. But the same is true for them. There are, only, there are certain things that in my home and in my church and in this world that, that only women can bring to the table. And those things are good and true and beautiful. But as a man, there are only certain things that, that, that I can bring to the table. So, so when I walk into the room, when I walk into the school, when I, when I walk into church, man, I'm, I'm asking myself, okay, what's, is there something here missing that only I can add? And then, again, developing an ethos of courage. Like, I want to add it. So, so when I go home today, right, um, you know, what's missing from my home? That, that as a man, I can add. Do you know, you know the number one indicator of success for your children? The number one indicator that your children today will be successful tomorrow is how many meals they share at the dinner table with their father. The more meals they have together at the dinner table with dad, the more likely they are to be physically emotionally, spiritually, and financially successful when they get older. And I tell you, uh, I talk to a lot of men. Men, I'm in a lot of homes, and, and one of the number one things missing from the home is, is dad at the dinner table, right? And, and I'm as guilty as the next, right? I'm, I'm quick to pick up the phone and, and say, honey, the meeting ran late, and, you know, I'm going to miss dinner tonight. Or, or honey, I'm not going to make it home tonight. Um, Uber Eats, Chick-fil-A, you know you have a problem when, you're, when your eight-year-old looks at you and says, Dad, can we Uber Eats payway tonight? Like, I'm like, how do you even know about Uber Eats? What is happening, right? So, so like, like, like what's missing? I, I, I know that, that, man, a lot of men are missing from that, from that dinner table. And here's the deal. Like, you want your children to be successful. Like, you want them to be successful, um, and unfortunately, we'll overcompensate in other areas, right? We'll, we'll make every soccer practice or we'll make sure they get on the travel baseball team or, you know, we'll do this. But, but what we won't do is sit down and have a meal with our children. So, I mean, that's a big place that I see, I see men missing. I see men missing in, in the leadership of the church today. 
You know, it's a problem. We have this, we have this meteoric rise in women pastors and women elders. And, and I believe that's because of the lack of men, um, uh, men leading uh, in the church today. Um, I'm reminded of the story in Judges where um, you, have, you have Deborah, the, the prophetess, right? And she tells, she tells Barak that, that hey, um, you're basically going to take the hill. You're going to lead God's men against his enemy, and people are going to sing about you for, for millennia to come. And, and Barak, he's, he's afraid. He doesn't do it. He, he tells Deborah basically, hey, um, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. And Deborah's like, you know what? I'm going to come with you, but because you're a coward, you're not going to get the glory for this. As a matter of fact, it's going to be given to someone else, and it turns out it's given to some tent girl named Jael who drives a peg through the guy's head, right? So, so today I'm sitting here, and we're singing about Deborah, and we're singing about Jael when we should have been singing about Barak, but we are not because he didn't step up and fill the void when something was missing, right? And there's so many men today doing that in the church. And then, and then I, think, I, I think we see it in the world, right? Whether it's fatherhood, whether it's, it, it's, it's marriages, you know, one in four men commit adultery. One in four men today are unfaithful um, um, to their wives. Um, um, what's, what's missing? Like, like the courage and conviction to stay with your wife, like, like to not sleep around and, 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 and sleep with other women. It's so, <clears throat> it's so harmful. It's so, it, it, it's so dangerous. So I'm always asking myself as I'm coming into these different situations, man, what's missing from this situation that, that I, as a man, that I, as a father, that I, as a husband can add to the situation to make it better. So even when I think about my marriage and I think about, man, what's, what's missing, to know what's missing, you have to know the ingredients that make it good. People who ever, you know, um, cooked a great meal or maybe you've, you, you've baked a cake, like if you, if you baked a cake with no sugar, you know that it's a sugar-free cake. Which, which, in my opinion, is un-American. Sorry, but, but, but like you know when an essential ingredient is missing. Um, so when I think about my marriage, I'm like, I mean, what are the ingredients that make my marriage whole? And then, and then what's what's being missed, right? So I think about like serving my wife. Um, you know, being her helpmate. Um, am I am I putting her needs? above my own, right? And sometimes that's as simple as um, being sure that after she's cooked a wonderful dinner that, that you know, I help clean up and do the dishes. Um, sometimes that's being mindful that, you know, she's had the littles, she's had our, our, our two little boys. I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old and they're, it's crazy train. And uh, after she's been with them all day, like, and I come home, like I take over, I'm the one that gives them baths. And, and helps them get in their PJs and, and, and gets them to bed. Like, like, am I being a good helpmate or am I being selfish? Am I coming home and thinking, you know, I've had a hard day at work. All I want to do um, is eat and watch the game. And um, that's, man, that's not good. Like, like I'm missing from that equation. Um, servanthood is missing from that equation. Um, I think about, you know, I think about when we were first married and, without kids it was it was glorious in a lot of ways but we were able to we were able to travel and we were able to do things right like <clears throat> even being married i dated my wife um so i think i think man what's 
When's the last time I took my wife on a date? Often what's missing from, from my marriage is date night, right? So, so I have to be intentional about scheduling that date night and, and remembering like, um, man, she's, she's my bride. She's my best friend. Um, uh, I want to serve her well. So giving her stuff to look forward to. We love my wife and I every two or three months we plan a weekend, where we just get away, right? And what that does, it's not just a reprieve from, from the daily grind, but it also gives her something to look forward to. She knows like when the kids are wheels off and when the finances are tight and when maybe the marriage isn't going well, she knows, man, in eight weeks, man, we're gonna get that, we're gonna get that hotel retreat. Or in eight weeks, we're gonna shoot down to the beach for a couple of days, right? It doesn't have to be grand all the time, but like giving her something on the horizon and then following through making sure that when that third month hits, hey, we're going to get away for a couple of days. I've got a babysitter. Let's go. So just, just doing my part um, as, a, as a man to, to really help my wife be better. You know, I want you to think about, I want you to think about marriage. So we hear the parable of the talents in the Bible all the time. And typically we think that is about money and we think that's about gifts. Um, but as a man, as a married man, if you're married, one of the greatest gifts that you've ever been given um, is a wife, a bride. And here's what's interesting. Before she was your wife, she was God's daughter. And I want you to think about that. Like God gave you his daughter, and he's telling you to steward her well, just like the talents. It's going to be bad news as a man that if you stand before God and you present your bride and you say, here she is, God, at least I didn't break her, like that's not going to go well for you. Here she is, God, she's the same as when you gave her to me. Like God's not going to look upon that with favor. No, he's given you this wife because, because when you do what you're supposed to do, she actually gets better. Like she grows in Christ-likeness. She grows as a mom. She grows as a spouse. She grows as a friend because she's married to you. That is key. And, and, and men need to ask themselves the question right now, is my wife less of a woman or more of a woman because she's married to me? Is my wife a better mother or a worse mother because she's married to me? Is my wife a, a better follower of Jesus, a better friend, a better neighbor because she's married to me? Because you're not, you're not doing your marriage in neutral. You're either helping your wife grow in health and maturity and spirituality. You're helping your wife become better or you're actually holding her back. And I think, I think for a lot of men, we're like, we're like this giant weight around our wife's shoulders that she's got to drag around town. And it should not be like that. We should be carrying the weight. I think for the first seven or eight years of our marriage, um, my wife was carrying me around like a dead weight. And here's the deal. I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing, right? I was earning a wage. Um, I had bought her a home. Um, she had a nice car. I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing for my family and at the same time doing nothing at all. Um, all the emotional health, all the spiritual health, in a lot of ways, all the physical health, man, was falling to her. The time she needed, I wasn't, I wasn't providing. Um, the emotional support she needed, I wasn't. 
providing, right? Um, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like my wife married a young man and she just stayed married to a young man, like an adolescent. Like I wasn't growing in maturity. I wasn't growing in health. And, and so she was having to carry the load on that. And, um, man, it wasn't right. It was what was missing from our relationship. On the outside, everything looked great. But on the inside, man, I was not bringing to the table the emotional, spiritual, physical health I needed to be bringing. And because of that fact, um, I was holding her back. And it wasn't, until, it wasn't until someone close to me, to a mentor in my life, pointed that out and said, hey, you know, your wife would be much better if you were better. So as an ordained pastor, I get to... Um, I get to marry people all the time. And uh, I love doing premarital counseling with young couples. And, and one of the first things I do when I get with the couples is I write this verse on the board. I write, um, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And I always ask the young bride, hey, what, what word do you have a problem with in this sentence? And a hundred for a hundred, the bride says the word submit. And I circle the word submit. And I say, actually, that's not the word you have a problem with. And I go to the end of the board and I circle the word husband. And I look at the man and I tell him, when you are the husband God has called you to be, she has no problem following your lead. It's when you're not the husband he's called you to be that she has a problem submitting, right? When you lead her well and honor her well and serve her well, when you put her needs above your own and die to selfishness, Man, your wife will look at you and say, man, that's the type of man I want to follow. That's the type of man that I'm proud to lead me, and she will follow. So when I start thinking about the third question, it's, it's, it's probably the most convicting. The third question is, what's evil happening right now that I can destroy? But honestly, man, more times than not, it's the evil in my own heart that I've got to kill, Right? I tell people all the time that, that Chris Harper is a new creation. Uh, I have been saved by King Jesus. I'm a born-again believer. The problem is, as Paul talks about in Romans 6 and Romans 7, like the old man of death is still there. Uh, the old Chris Harper is still there wanting to pull me back into the old ways. So every morning, like I have to wake up and I have to drown the old man of death. I have to drown Chris Harper. The problem is he's a hell of a swimmer. I'm talking like Michael Phelps level, right? And he's always he's always trying to get the best of me. So so every day I have to wake up and I have to die to that old selfishness. I have to die to my old ways so that I can better love and honor and serve those in my life, you know. I used to think I used to think if a man ever broke into my house to assault my wife, like I would stand between him and her and defend her. What I've come to learn over the years is that the man that breaks into my house every day and assaults my family is me. I do that through my indifference, my passivity, my anger, my lack of gentleness, my lack of self-control. Like I'm the guy I've got to guard my wife against. I'm the guy I've got to guard my family against. Like that's the evil I'm trying to get up every day and kill so I can be the man that I've been called to be and love my wife well, serve my family well, be a better a better citizen, a better friend, etc. What would you say to somebody who doesn't really have that compass? My response would be that that we're all spiritual beings, 
Like you can't deny that. Every man within him has a sense and a desire that there is something outside of himself. There is something greater beyond himself. Um, that's why we're on this journey. I love men are like men are like pirates. We're always looking for something to plunder and something to explore, right? And I kind of I kind of dig being a modern day pirate. Like like it's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is, you know, what are you exploring? What are you always plundering? So for someone who who kind of lacked the same spirituality or at least an understanding of who Jesus is, like like I've received, um, my question would be. Um, you know, how's your life going right now? I mean, you're in pursuit of something. You're not living in neutral. So whatever that thing is you're pursuing, whether it's, um, you know, physicality and, and narcissism and your good looks, whether it's success beyond success, whether it's the pursuit of knowledge, um, um, maybe, maybe you're that guy that you have more degrees than a thermometer and, and you find your sense of self-worth in that. Like, like my question would be, um, what you're pursuing, um, how's it going? Man, are you finding fulfillment? And I'm not talking about superficial fulfillment, like the, the, um, the outside looking in, like he has it all, you know, nice clothes and a nice car and a nice home, and he has multiple girlfriends, right? There, there, there are plenty of yahoos online right now telling you that that's the answer, right? As many women as you can bag, uh, as many as many racks as you can stack, right? As many planes as you can own. Um, go out and run 200 miles in your bare feet, and at the end of that, you'll become a man. Like my encouragement would be, try it and then get back with me. Like, like let me know how that how, how that went for you, because 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 I think what's going to happen is um, you're going to have girlfriend after girlfriend, you're going to have job after job. You're going to have physical feet after physical feet, and maybe you make it to the top of the mountain, but two things are going to happen. One, you're going to get to the top of the mountain. You're going to realize it's a lonely place, right? And you and you heard a lot of people getting there, and, and you're going to come to the harsh realization that like you were created for community and created for others, and true purposefulness is found in serving others and making other people better. I've got a, I've got a mentor who always tells me, Chris, it's okay for you to climb the ladder. It's okay to have one hand up the ladder as long as you have one hand down the ladder willing to pull people up with you. So good. So like, don't hear me say like climbing the ladder is bad. No, it's good as long as you're pulling people up with you. You'll discover at the top of that mountain like you were made for community. And the other thing that's gonna happen, which is even more uh, dissatisfying, is you're gonna discover that it's a false summit and there's another mountain. Like there's always a mountain to climb. So, so a lot of people live um, discipleship, right? And I know that's a churchy word, but we're all disciples of something, every one of us. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're a disciple of something. Here's our problem with discipleship. We look at discipleship as a destination. So we think if I can just make it there, I've arrived. If I can just read the Bible in a year, I've arrived. If I can just make a million dollars, I've arrived. If I can just find the right girl. Uh, so, so, so we look at discipleship as a destination when what we should be doing is looking at discipleship as a direction. It's not a destination. It's a direction. Is the direction of my life on track? Am I headed in the right 
direction. For me personally, I've discovered that right direction is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Like it's the only direction I've ever been on that has brought fulfillment, purpose, and satisfaction in my life. So the fourth question is probably, um, probably my favorite. The fourth question I'm asking of every situation, any situation, man, what's good happening in this situation that I can preserve and promote? Like what's good that I can replicate? Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we live in a dangerous world. But at the same time, man, we live in a good world with a lot of good gifts and a lot of good people, man. So I'm just looking to see, man, did something good happen that I can promote, right? I was at um, I was at my son's basketball game a few weeks back, and my son is not very athletic. As a matter of fact, um, he rides the bench most games. So it's the city championship, and they're down by one, nine seconds left, and like usual, my son's on the bench. Uh, and I'm not one of these crazy dads that thinks his nine-year-old is Kobe Bryant, so so don't don't get that in your head. I'm okay with him riding the bench because I mean he just can't dribble like I get it. So 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 he's on the bench, and uh, his best friend has the ball, and his best friend throws this shot up at the buzzard, and he hits it to win the city championship. They 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 win by one point, and I watch my son. I immediately turn from the game to the back of the bench. And I watch my son jump up, sprint onto the floor, and tackle his best friend. He is so happy for the success of his team and the success of his best friend. And I'm sitting in the crowd watching this, and I'm thinking, that's good. I want to be like that. I want to be the type of man that, that when the guy next to me gets the promotion and I don't, when, when, when my buddy buys a bigger home than me, like I want to be the guy that naturally says, man, I'm happy for you. Congratulations. Like I want to consider other people more important than myself. And my nine-year-old has that. Man, he has that good trait. And I saw it, man, I want to replicate it. So so I think as men, we have to like we have to have our eyes open to what's good so that we have good things that we can promote and reproduce, right? Because it's easy as men, at least it's easy for me, to get caught up on the negative, on the negative. You know, I've, I've told you a couple times now, I have, I have a lot of kids, so I have Legos all over my house. And I don't know about you, but like if you've ever stepped on a Lego at the middle of the night, you will say things that are unholy. You will say things that are unholy. And I've done it. Like, I've stepped on Legos, and it's a problem. After doing that so many times, man, this is, this is what started happening. I started coming home, and immediately I was looking for Legos all the time. And because I was always looking for Legos, I started missing what was good. So I would come home, and instead of embracing the fact that my two-year-old was so happy to see me like his superhero had just walked through the door. Daddy, you're home. I immediately thought, man, where are the Legos? Like both literally and kind of metaphorically, where are the Legos? I got so caught up on looking for what was wrong, I missed what was right and what was good. I meet a lot of men that are stuck in that rut. You're so caught up on the job you don't have, the relationship you don't have, 
You're so caught up on what happened to you. You're so caught up on who did this and who didn't do that that you literally miss all the good that is happening in your world. And if you can, if you can start to retrain your mind to not always focus on what happened or what didn't happen, to not always focus on what you don't have. You know what I love? You know what I love about gratitude? Gratitude takes what we have and makes it enough. That's what I love about gratitude, about the principle of being grateful. So, so as men, if we can start to look for what's good, right, we'll start to develop this heart posture of gratitude, and then we can start promoting and reproducing all the good that we see, but you can't promote it and you can't reproduce it if you're not seeing it, if you're not looking for it, which is why I think that fourth question is so important, man. What's good that I can reproduce? What's good that I can promote? There's a difference, and this is where we have to be careful. There's a difference between being content and being complacent. And I think sometimes as men, when we hear the word contentment, we think complacency. Don't hear me say be complacent. As men, we need not be complacent. We have enough complacent men in the world that have basically become comfortable with their situation. They've become comfortable with their misery. They've become comfortable with their plight and world, and they've basically checked out. That's what, that's what complacency is. Complacency is, man, this is the hand that's been dealt to me. Um, these are the lemons that have been handed to me, and I'm just going to deal with it. That's complacency. No, don't do that. That's bad. Contentment is I've been handed these lemons, and it's okay for them to be lemons for a while, but eventually I'm going to make lemonade. <laughs> Like the lemonade is coming. That's what contentment is, knowing that, that you have this hope, that you have a future hope that, that man, things are going to get better. Like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Um, I'm going to grow. Even if that growth isn't, isn't leaps and bounds right now, we're still growing. I tell men all the time, like the Bible says that the Lord ordains the steps of the righteous, not the leaps and bounds of the righteous. We think we're only making progress if we're doing it in leaps and bounds, when in reality, progress often happens at a, at a crawl, right? It's wind carving the stone, right? So as men, um, um, I'm going to fall. I just want to fall forward. Like I'm just going to keep falling forward. Even when I slow down, even when I trip up, I'm still moving up the ladder. I'm still moving down the neighborhood. I'm still moving forward in the world, but I'm just not doing it two and three rungs at a time like, like we're told we can do or that we see all the time on, uh, online, like, like the Grant Cardones of the world. Come to this seminar, and then tomorrow you're going to be a millionaire. It's just not true unless you're selling crack. If you're selling crack, then you can do that. But other than that, like, 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 like it's just not going to happen. Um, uh, and that's where... That's where because it doesn't happen, we can fall into complacency. And, and I'm telling you, complacency is bad. Like, don't be complacent with your situation in life. Be content knowing that it can and will get better. So, so when I think about these four questions in summation, right, when I think about, man, what's broken that I can fix? What's missing that I can add? What's evil that I can destroy? What's good that I can promote? When I think about those questions, one, just thinking about them opens up my worldview. Like just thinking about them makes me a more active, passionate man because, because I now have the knowledge 
to ask the questions I didn't even know I needed to be asking, right? And, and having that knowledge that I now have the knowledge to ask the questions I know I need to ask, man, gives me a sense of confidence. It gives me clarity around conviction and courage, and it, and it gives me a roadmap to develop that courageous ethos and be the man I've called to be. So, so one, um, I hear a lot of men who, who receive these questions, they're just super thankful. Man, I've got a roadmap. I've got a compass. I know the right questions to ask now. And then, and then what happens as you, as you ask those questions and then begin to respond, like you're going to become that dude. You're going to become, um, you know, what some would say that alpha male, that type A male that um, even though you don't have a black belt in jujitsu, even though you don't have your own personal airplane with stacks of cash in it, like you're going to become that man that's ready to respond when something's wrong. You're going to become that man that responds with when, when something is missing. And here's what's going to happen. As you begin to respond, because the majority of men don't respond, people will naturally look to you as a leader. So you're not seizing leadership, right? You're not with the loud megaphone saying, hey, I'm a leader, come follow me, which is what all these guys online are doing. No, no, no. You're saying, watch me act. Watch me in action. Now come be like me. And men are going to look at you and say, oh my gosh, I want to be like that guy. Did you see that guy? Did you see how he responded? Did you see what he did? Did you see when he pulled out that pocket knife and opened that box? Like, I want to do that. Like, they're going to naturally want to follow you because you're a man that takes action. And then here's what happens, right? So you get a definition. You know what to ask. You take action. And then over time, you're going to grow and influence. And when people need things when they need advice, when they need wisdom, when they need a pocket knife to open something, they're gonna come and they're gonna ask you. And as a man, I can't think of a greater privilege, a greater honor than to be needed, than to be wanted. When my wife or my children or my neighbor or my colleague has a problem or has a question, they don't go to Wikipedia, they don't go to Google, they come to Chris because they know he's a man of action. He's a man that can be trusted. He's a man that responds.